What does God want from you? Do you know? God doesn't need anything, right? I mean, he's the self-existent one. He as he's call, called in philosophy the uncaused first cause. Not only is he the uncaused first cause, but he's all sufficient. There's nothing that he needs from anyone. He's perfect, he's whole, he's complete. So the question is that I pose from the beginning, what does God want from you? This is an excellent question. Maybe even one you have. Even if you've been following the Lord for a while. You've been following him for a while, for years, maybe even decades, and you come to those points in time where you go, God, what, what is it that you want from me? What do you want? I think it was even Forrest Gump who cried out from that boat, the top of the mast there. No, anyways, he said, hey, what do you want, Lord? Sometimes we just want to know, God, what do you want? What do you want from me? I believe our text tonight answers the question in a, in a special and unique way. We're in Genesis 18 tonight, and this is a chapter where Abraham and Sarah get a visit from three visitors. Who are they? Who are they? Well, we're going to answer that question tonight. And what do they want from Abraham? What do they want with Abraham? Well, we're going to see that, at least a little bit of it. And we're going to answer the question that I answered, asked from the outset. What does God want from you? So let's, let's dive in here and answer these questions. Let's look over at, well, the first thing that God wants from you is the Lord wants to meet with you. The Lord wants to meet with you. Let's go over to the text, Genesis 18. Let's begin at verse 1. It says this, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and he looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts and that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and he took a tender and good calf and he gave it to a young man and he hastened to prepare it. And so he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. The Lord wants to meet with you. Amen? Amen? This specific passage in Genesis 18 has perplexed many a reader, and even the commentators and scholars don't all agree on the particulars of this chapter, namely the identity of the three visitors that Abraham entertained. The identity of at least one of the visitors should be easy to identify. The passage opens with the statement in verse 1, the Lord appeared to him. Yahweh appeared to him. The Lord appeared to him. Now, if you've been following along in Genesis, you're well aware of this person that we've been 
talking about the angel of Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh. And the angel of Yahweh is identified as the, uh, uh, the second person of the Trinity. In other parts of scripture, it's, it is said that the father has put everything of himself into this person, the person of the angel of Yahweh. And the Lord and the angel of Yahweh have been appearing to, to Abraham uh, on a repeated basis down through the course of his life. They've been coming to him. They've been meeting with him. The Lord has been appearing to him. We first see it in chapter 12 when, when God came to, the, to Abram in, at that time, Abram in Ur of the Chaldeans. And he was called out of Ur to come to the land of Canaan. And then we saw him again in chapter 15 as the Lord appeared to him. And that's the chapter where, uh, you know, God has... Uh, Abram cut the covenant and remember he was out there that's the one where he was shooing away the vultures and which which I have some actual experience with now you know um, shooing away vultures and and then he came in 17 chapter 17 and reiterated and reminded Abraham of the covenant and he changed his name he gave him a new walk he he did all this incredible stuff and of course he gave him a new existence a new identity in the in the circumcision and and all of that that he did in 17 and here we come again and it's the it's the lord appearing to abraham once again and the lord wants to meet with abraham and he wants to meet with you the most respectable commentator the most respectable commentators and scholars, and most notably Kyle and Delich, uh, see this as the Lord himself and two angels. So to answer who is it that's in this text, who were the three visitors, it's none other than the Lord himself and two angels. And so you, you, the Lord is, is, is readily identified that the Lord is, that uh, Abram sees him and it's the Lord who appears to him. And then the other two being angels, um, we pick that up it, within the context because we have a greater context of Genesis 18 and 19. And within this greater context, we see that the two people that are accompanying the Lord have a specific task that the Lord is going to give them. And that's namely to retrieve Lot out of the coming destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so you have the Lord and two angels that are going to be on assignment. We're going to see that over the next two chapters as we go through. So the Lord and two angels show up at Abraham's house, his tent. And Abraham's first response, he saw them, and what did he do? He ran. He ran out to them. He ran out to them. Perhaps he recognized the Lord. I believe when I read that, I, I, that's the thing I came up with. I mean, he recognized the Lord. He ran out to him. And in the context actually gives us that because he's like, hey, you, you, you came to meet with me, right? You came to be with your servant. Don't pass by. Hey, come on in. I'll fix you. We'll get your feet cleaned. We'll get you a meal. We'll get you all taken care of. So come on. Come on and, and stay a while. And so I, I really do believe that Abraham recognized the Lord and, and ran out to meet him. And he bowed down. He bowed down to worship him. And if he bowed down and it wasn't the Lord himself, the angel, all throughout scriptures, angels have a, 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 a directive. They do not receive the worship of man. They do not receive the, there's, there's the well, there is a guy. 
We talked about him in chapter 3, right? The serpent of old, the Nakash. He actually is trying, and that's what his game plan is, to receive as much worship, draw as much worship away from Yahweh, away from the Lord, unto himself. But here we see that Abram bows down and worships the Lord. And so we see the Lord and two angels. And he invites them to stay. And, and what does he do? He rushes around to get some food prepared. Look at it in the text there. He says, uh, my Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by on, on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And look at that. So Abram turned, turned and hurried into the tent to Sarah. What did he say? Quick. Quick, Sarah, do something. Get, get three measures of meal. Get some cakes going. Get some cakes going. I'm going to run out to the backyard, and I'm going to grab one of our guys, and he's gonna, we're going to select a calf, and we're going to get this thing going. And we're, we, got, we got some visitors, and these guys are very important, and they've come to meet with us. And so hurry up and get some food prepared. Here's a good question. What would you do if the Lord showed up at your front door? What would you do? Would you run around, oh, oh, get this place cleaned up? <laughs> the Lord has stopped by, and I didn't clean the kitchen, or I didn't make the bed, or whatever it is. I hope you did. But anyways, the Lord might be showing up at your house, and I don't know how you would react, but we know how Abram, re, Abraham reacted because he ran to Sarah to get some cakes going. He ran and got a calf uh, to slaughter and, and, and prepare and so Abram rushes around, and he, and he had Sarah quickly make some bread cakes, and he had a young man in, in the house barbecue a calf. And so he, was very, he very quickly pulled together a veal barbecue. And, uh, and, 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 this, and I, I, I would, I'm going to go on on record and say that this is probably good, you know, because they knew what they were doing. Abraham stood by them as they ate, verse 9. You know, God wants to meet with you. Want to answer the question, what does God want from you? He doesn't need anything. He's a self-existent one. Doesn't need anything from anyone. He's totally complete in and of himself, right? What does he want from you? What does he want from me? He wants to meet with us. He wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with me. Here he wants to meet with Abraham. And here was the Lord coming up and showing up at Abraham's tent on this particular day. You know, the book of Revelation has over 800 Old Testament references in only 404 verses in the entire book of Revelation. Could the author, under the inspiration of the Spirit, or could the author, Jesus, writing the letter of the, to the church at Laodicea, be thinking about this particular occasion when he said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yes. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and what? And dine with him and he with me. Perhaps, I mean, the Lord knows everything and he spoke these words and he spoke those words and he's put this whole book together and certainly the Lord has this desire that he wants to meet with you and he wants to meet with me. Not only that, he wants to literally, he does want to knock on your door. He does want to knock on your door. He does want to show up at your place. And he, does, he wants to sit down. And he wants to fellowship. And he wants, to, and he wants to, 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 to share together. And it's exactly what the, Lord's, the Lord wants. 
The truth is the Lord wants to meet you to have fellowship with you. We see it even in the Levitical system, the Levitical sacrificial system. Uh, when you get from Genesis, when you get into Leviticus, in the beginning of Leviticus, you, what's laid out there are the five Levitical sacrifices of, of the Levitical sacrificial system. And so of those five sacrifices, you have the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, the grain offering, and the burn offering. And we see the desire for fellowship with us from God in the peace offering. The peace offering. Uh, you'll see it on the screen. The purpose of the peace offering is to emphasize that worshiping God brings peace and satisfaction. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. What does he want from you? He wants to meet with you so that you have peace, so that you have a, a fulfilled life, so that you have everything that you need. It's not for him, it's for us. Right. He has everything he needs. He's all set. He's God. There's nothing he lacks. But he knows that there's something that we lack, and it's him. It's his very presence. It's his very word. It's everything that flows from the mouth of God, the word of God. It's everything that he has for us. And he wants to supply to us. And so the peace offering emphasizes wor that worshiping God brings peace and satisfaction. Now, I want to read a little snippet of my book. I don't often do that, but uh, sometimes it just, you know, if I can, I quote other great authors and stuff, and I might as well quote, quote myself sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> come on, don't give me a hard time. It's, it's, it's all right. But anyways, in my book, uh, in the fourth chapter, it's actually called a sacrifice. And I talk about, I go through and, and show how Jesus fulfills the Levitical sacrificial system. And so this is what I say in there. It says this, the peace offering was brought to share with the Lord, a shared meal. The Lord had his part and you also partook of the food. Basically, you came to the tabernacle to have a barbecue with the Lord. Jesus was known for eating with people. He ate at Matthew's house. He ate with the disciples. There's a scene following the resurrection where Jesus prepared a breakfast for his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So the peace offering is eating and fellowshipping with God. We bring a sacrifice of praise to the Lord, and God satisfies us with the sacrifice. Many people do not see this. Many people believe that what God is asking from them is taking away from their lives. When giving to the Lord, it's actually adding to their lives. You are fulfilled and satisfied through the peace offering, through meeting with the Lord. And what Jesus has done perfectly is he's perfectly fulfilled these sacrifices in his, perfect sac his one perfect sacrifice of himself on the cross. And the peace sacrifice is that where you brought it to the tabernacle. They would throw it up there. They would kind of barbecue it up. Some of it would be burned up for the Lord, and there would be a portion for the worshiper to eat. And so that's where you had this shared meal, the peace offering. And so that's what God wants to do. When we bring a sacrifice of praise, some people think, well, I'm not doing church thing, and I'm not giving to the Lord, and I'm not giving anything to the church or the Lord's work, or I'm not giving any time. I've got better things to do, uh, you know, with, with myself and stuff than to do all that, thinking for a minute that somehow giving to the Lord is subtracting from their lives, and all the while it's actually adding to your life because what you lack is going to be given to you as you'll simply come and worship the Lord with everything that he's called you to bring forth. And so, man, I run into all kinds of people all the time. And I guarantee you, this is a fundamental thought that people have. 
well, the Lord's asking for this and that and whatever, and that's subtracting from my life. No, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's not subtracting, it's adding. In fact, it's completing you. It's fulfilling you. It's bringing you to that place of having perfect communion with your maker, with your savior. Jesus gave us another, he gave the church an ordinance. Scholars believe, you know, you look at it, there's two ordinances, right? You have water baptism and communion. One's an act where you go out there and get dunked in the water and all that fun stuff and declare and declare to the principalities of powers that I'm the Lord's, right? And I'm serving the Lord with my life. And then there's another one that he gave, a private meal that we share together as a body, the body of Christ. He gave us a meal to share together to commune with him. Isn't that exactly like the Lord? It's because he wants to meet with us. He wants to sit down. He's knocking at the door. If any man hear my voice, open the door. I will come in. I'll come in and sit down and have a meal. We'll enjoy the peace and the fellowship and all that good stuff. So Jesus gave us an an ordinance that is a meal. I think it accomplishes a lot. It shows us that although it was an act of eating and disobedience that brought sin into the world, it's an act of eating in obedience that brings us and keeps us in sweet communion with Christ as we partake of Christ. Because remember, not only does he ask us to bring a sacrifice, but he also is the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? So we partake of Christ on a daily basis, and we have that sweet communion with Christ. It's also just a simple reminder that God wants us to fellowship with him. Every time we come to the table of the Lord, I want you to think about this. What is it that the Lord wants from me? What's this whole thing about? He wants you. He wants to meet with you. You say to yourself, well, why does he want to meet with me? No one wants to meet with me. (laughs) You ever feel like that? Nobody wants to meet with me. Sometimes people want to meet with me. The Lord does. The Lord wants to meet with you. And it's for our benefit. It's for our benefit. It's not really for his. Again, he's all sufficient. Meeting with him, practicing his presence in our lives is is for our benefit. There is a verse of scripture that tells us about the benefit of God's presence in our lives. I wanted to bring this one out to you. It's actually... We just want to kind of pull a scripture out here from one of the prophets, Zephaniah 3.17. This is going to be familiar to some of you, and this is a great verse of scripture. It says this, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. The Lord wants to be with you. He wants to be in your midst. And the Lord wants to be in our midst. And when the Lord is in our midst, guess what? We're reminded that he's, that he's the mighty one. That he's the mighty one. That whatever, that whatever I lack, whatever I need, that, that the mighty one is, is, is in my life. I'm not just wild. I'm not sitting around here walking around just aimlessly in life. I'm not out here just driving up and down US 1 and Post Road and all the rest of it, Wickham. Trying to stay off Wickham. You know, going around the long way, which is the short way. 
have the power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power, we talked about it on Wednesday night, the power that brought Jesus Christ out of the grave, the, 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 the power that is the power of the resurrection, that person is in your life. He's mighty to save, and he's mighty to do anything else that you need in your life. He will, he will rejoice over you with gladness. Did you know the, the Lord rejoices over you? You say, well, what does the Lord want? The Lord wants to meet with me. Well, he wants to meet with me and be in my life and be the mighty one in my life, and be the mighty one to save in my life. And on top of that, he's going to rejoice over me because I've come into the family. Yeah, like the father who went out and ran out to the prodigal son who was so glad that he returned from his sins and brought him in. And what did he do? Killed the fatted calf and threw a party? Through a meal, what does the Lord want to do? Sometimes we get this whole thing mixed up in church that somehow God is like begging us to do something and trying to pull stuff out of us and whatever. No, the Lord wants us to see that giving to him and coming to him is for our benefit and then he's going to pour his spirit out into our lives and he's going to do a mighty thing. And if we'll just change our perspective on things, maybe we'll begin to see what God wants to do in our lives. Getting out from underneath the whole thing and getting out where God is going to literally exalt over us. He's going to rejoice over us with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with singing. The idea here in the text in, in, in Zephaniah 3, thanks for keeping that up there on the screen the whole time. He literally gets up off his throne and does a dance over you, people. Yes. That's a good word. Who did... Who, 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 who wants to be with me? The Lord does. He wants to meet with me. And he wanted to meet with, with Abraham on this occasion because he's got some business to do. I'm reminded, one more application. You could go through the whole scriptures until you're just, you know, until we're here all night, coming up with application on this point. Amen? Reminded of another one. Little old guy by the name of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus went out in Jericho and he found this tree. And um, I actually... I've actually been to Jericho, and there's this big tree, the sycamore tree, and they, they, they say, look, that's, that's the tree, that's Zacchaeus' tree. Well, I don't know if it was Zacchaeus' tree. I mean, it's really thick. It's, it's, a, it's a thick tree. About It's, it's huge. But anyways, I, uh, I tried to climb it. I couldn't get up in the sycamore tree. But you know what Zac, Zacchaeus did on that particular occasion because he wanted to see the Lord? And what did the Lord come by and say what? Come on, Zacchaeus, get down. I want to go to your house. What? You want to go to my house? Yeah. Oh, oh the, Lord, the Lord wants to go over to Zacchaeus' house. The tax collector? Right. Yeah, that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. How do I know the Lord wants to meet with you? Because the scripture is just basically replete <laughs> with example of after example of the Lord demonstrating this desire that he has for you. Amen? Now, the Lord wants to also challenge your thinking. He wants to meet with you, and he also, secondly, wants to challenge your thinking. Let's pick it up, verse 9. Back in the text, it says this. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. 
Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being so old also? The Lord wants to challenge your thinking. He wants to meet with you, and he wants to challenge your thinking. The reason why he wants to challenge your thinking is because he wants to change your thinking. He wants to change your thinking. Why? Because he has a better way of thinking that you need. He has a better way of thinking that you need to adopt into your life. The Lord asked, where is your wife? Abram says, she's in the tent. Well, let me tell you, Abraham, I'm going to come back in the time of life. I'm going to come back in nine months. And Sarah's going to have a son. Now, Sarah was kind of eavesdropping on the, on the conversation. And so she hears this. She overheard that she was going to have a son in nine months. And what did she do? She laughed. She laughed. Matthew Henry, the famous commentator, had this to say about Sarah's laugh. It was not a pleasing laughter of faith, but it was a laughter of doubting and mistrust. Now, looking from Sarah's vantage point, if you looked at it from Sarah's vantage point, she's 90 years old, 89 years old. She's 89 years old, and these visitors at the door are saying, you're going to... In nine, I'm going to be back in nine months, and you're going to have a son. Now, now, from her way of thinking, she's looking at herself. She's 89 years old. You know, nothing's working anymore. Never did work. It ain't about to start working. It ain't going to happen. And on top of that, man, that guy, Abraham, he's 100. <laughs> he ain't getting anything done around here. <clears throat> He's a hundred years old. Human improbability often sets us in contradiction to the divine promise. And for this reason, the Lord wants to challenge our thinking. If we are going to be in relationship with him, he wants us thinking that there's nothing impossible for him. If we're going to be in communion with him, if, we, if he's going to be the person that's showing up on our doorstep, if he's the person that's knocking on our door and coming in and having a meal with us, then he wants to be a person that changes the dynamic and the thinking of the house, of our lives, of our minds, of our brains, of our spirits, that there's a different type of thinking that, that now has come into our life. Why? Because we have the mighty one, we have the, the holy one, we have the all-powerful one in our lives. And so... You know, we have a way of thinking. There's a way of thinking that we have. And we look at it. We look at it from all the, all the probabilities and statistics and all that stuff. And all that stuff is good, you know. It's, it's, I'm not, no one's putting that down. No one's putting down, you know, that type of thing. But for the Christian, for the believer, there's a way of thinking. And it's this, that nothing is impossible for God. That nothing's impossible for the Lord. If we're going to be in relationship with him, he wants us thinking that there's nothing impossible for him. If he wants to raise somebody from the dead that has been dead for four days, like he did with, with Lazarus, he'll do it. If he wants to bring forth a miraculous catch of fish where the fish aren't being caught, he'll do it. If he wants to pay Peter and his taxes from a fish's mouth pulled out of the Sea of Galilee, 
He'll do it. I wish he'd do that for me. <laughs> Don't you wish he'd do Hey, Lord, I need, some, I, need some, I need my taxes paid. Okay, go down to the Indian River. <laughs> right? Oh. The Lord wants, how is your thinking limited what you believe God can do? Have you allowed your thinking to be so dictated by that human way of thinking that we're all kind of prone to have based upon the human probabilities and improbabilities? Mary, the mother of Jesus, her thinking was challenged. Remember, the, the angels showed up in Nazareth that night and said, hey, guess what? You're going to have a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. And she says, whoa, 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 stop right there. I've never known a man. How's it going to happen? Well, don't worry about that. Nothing is impossible for, the Lord, for, for God, Right? Martha, uh, Jesus' friend, her, her thinking was challenged when Jesus finally did show up in Bethany, although he was delayed. Perhaps he delayed his own self. <laughs> finally did get to Bethany. Lazarus, their brother, Mary and Martha's brother, has been dead for four days. And what does Jesus say to Martha? He says, just look, just wait and see. I'm the resurrection and the life. Amen? So if he's the resurrection and the life, I mean, he's gonna want, he wants to totally radically change our thinking. He wants to challenge your thinking. He wants to change your thinking. He wants you to adopt a thinking that basically says, I have almighty God in my life, and nothing shall be impossible for the Lord. Nothing will be impossible for the Lord. Sometimes I feel like in this modern age, well, it's not the modern age anymore. They said it was the postmodern age. Well, I think that's over with. I don't know what age we're living in. But whatever age we're living in, there's a thinking that even may have even permeated the church of kind of just giving up on what God can do on what God can do. Let us never be those people. Now, lastly tonight, the Lord wants you to trust him. Let's go back to the text in verse 13. And it says this, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. What does the Lord want from you? The Lord wants you to trust him. The Lord wants you to trust him. The Lord questions Abraham. He asks him, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will come back in nine months. Let me tell you. I will be back here with you, me, nine months. 
and Sarah will have a son. Why did she laugh? Why did she laugh? What's the Lord looking for from us? He simply wants us to trust him. Amen? It reminds me of another scripture from the prophets, Jeremiah 32, 17. He said this, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. God wants to, God wants to remind you of this. What was the prophet saying? Ah, Lord God. Lord God, you, you're the creator. I mean, I'm, I'm looking around at this, this earth thing. <laughs> I'm looking around at this, this, this mountain, this landscape. I'm looking around at this seas, the oceans. I'm looking around at the animals, the human beings walking around. Lord God, you're the creator. You made all this. If you did this, nothing's too difficult for you. You just stretch out your hand. You just speak the word. You just say, and it's done. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. So God wants to remind you of this. He wants you to trust him. He wants, you to, he wants to look you in the eye tonight, Christian, and say to you this. Is there anything too hard for me? Just hear the Lord saying this to you tonight. Is there anything too hard for me? I got this. Trust me. I'm with you. I'm in your midst and I'm mighty. I, I, I'm, I'm in your life. I'm in your midst and I'm, I'm mighty. I'm El Shaddai. But how did, so the Lord reiterates what he's going to do. I'm coming back in a year and Sarah will have a son. But look how the section ends. Sarah denies that she laughed, right? By this time, maybe she's come through the door into the meeting. Yeah, I heard you. Did my name come up? <laughs> I don't know. Were your ears burning? <laughs> Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, well, I'm old. I'm old. I'm not going to have a son. I'm not going to have a baby. So Sarah denies that she laughed. Sometimes we, we try to deny our lack of faith. We deny it. Someone asks us, oh, do you have faith to believe? Oh, yeah, I have faith. But really, you laughed. Really, maybe you, maybe you didn't laugh. You scoffed. Maybe you said, oh, no, no way. Can't happen. Not with me. Ain't going to happen. It's over. I'm old. Over the hill. Done with. God's put me on the shelf. Nothing going to happen with me. Or we don't even realize that we aren't trusting the Lord and his word. I mean, I think there's almost a level of where we can adopt a certain viewpoint on things, and it's almost unconscious. We're kind of going in a direction, and the reaction is almost unconscious. Like, we didn't even realize we, we laughed. We snickered at something. You know, we read something in the word, and we said, <laughs> we, we, don't even, we don't even realize it. God just wants to wants you to trust him. Sarah says, I did not laugh. What did, what, did, what did the Lord say? No. No, you did laugh. You did laugh. Why was that important? 
Why is that important for us tonight? No, Sarah, you did laugh. The Lord wants to correct us. He wants to challenge us because he wants to bring us along to that place where we do trust him, where we are trusting him, where we're believing him for what he says in his word. I want to challenge you tonight. What is it right now that seems too difficult for you? What is it right now in your life that seems too difficult for you? What circumstance in your life seems impossible? I want you to trust the Lord like you never have before. I want you to trust the word of the Lord. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, it's not me. I'm not saying this. The Lord, what does he want? He wants you to trust him. He wants you to take him at his word. He wants you to be that person that says, yes, Lord, I believe. I'm trusting you. Trust the word of the Lord that he gave you. I want you to trust his presence and power in your life like never before. That's faith. That's faith. And so what is it that the Lord wants from you? He wants to meet with you. He wants to challenge your thinking so that you adopt a different thinking that basically says this, there's nothing too hard for God. And then he wants you to just trust him. Amen? Amen. I think people come, and I'll close with this, I think people even come, Christians come to points of review or maybe looking back and say, man, is this whole thing real? I mean, am I really saved? Am I on my way to heaven? You know, when I die, the Lord comes. Am I, am I going to make it? Am I, is there a heaven? Deep down in, the, in your heart of hearts, you know the answer to that. As you've heard from the Lord, and he wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him. And it will, this, I believe, will revolutionize your Christian walk. He wants to meet with you. He wants to challenge your thinking. He wants you to trust him.